Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So hey, this is going to be the part two on writing the textbook, the how-to, a portion of it, right? And so, you know, hey, check out, it's like I've done this in four installments now. Um, Wasn't planning on doing that, but hopefully uh, people appreciate uh, what's going on uh, in those spaces, right? It was like the first one was kind of like thinking about uh, what's the pathway, like how do you know when you're on the pathway of writing the textbook? Um, the second one was about uh, why would you even do it? And so now I'm on part two on the how to of it and gave you a little bit regarding, right? It's like my idea, like my journey on how to price my textbook. Also, uh, me using um, the program that I used, uh, which in my case, it was iBooks, right? Uh, iBook author, I should be to be more specific and everything. And so it's like I talk, I focus way more on that. And then um, really, you know, just wanted, you know, giving people a heads up is that, you know, as you're writing your own textbook, it will make you think about your teaching in ways that you've never thought about it before. And so therefore, how th- this textbook journey sent me on a, you know, sent me in a different direction regarding how I use multiple choice questions, right? And so now with writing a textbook, the set part two, um, you know, let me, let me rewind the clock a little bit and talk about how um, I started my project, right? Because I was on sabbatical. Thank goodness I was on sabbatical. And so what I did is I actually actively uh, researched other textbooks, right? And so I, I got all these other textbooks, used what was popular out there, used what my colleagues were using and, you know, just got them to, to give me their copies um, and everything, loan me their copies. And um, there's just some things that you kind of figure out when you're looking at it. I was not in any way, shape or form trying to re- replicate um, anyone else's textbook, that's a big deal to me, right? It's like, I, honestly, I don't know why you you would try to just replicate what's already out there, right? It's like, listen, if you find something that actually works for you, just use it. <laughs> really, just use it um, and everything. But what I was researching, I, honestly, I didn't even know what I was really looking for. I was just kind of looking for overall patterns. Look, I'm a sociologist. I'm a trained social observer. And so I was looking for some overall patterns, things that would make, you know, would be, would help me be more efficient in my writing. And I'm going to tell you what, this, the, these are, uh, you know, just a few things that just kind of uh, came out at me that I wish someone would have told me, right? Because then I wouldn't have been so surprised when I kind of found this, right? And it wouldn't have taken me so long. But that no one owns concepts. Like there's a few concepts. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to the theorists, yes, it's like you want to, um, you know, you want to talk about the theorists. I'll talk about that in just a sec. But in regards to most of the concepts that are in an introduction to sociology textbook, um, no one owns those terms anymore, right? It's like that. Those are literally like everyone's property, right? Um, and everything. And so, and so then that really helped alleviate that that there were a meaning that there were no citations, right? That there were no citations involved with that. And I was just like, oh, because, you know, like I said, I was looking through the textbooks and there were very few bibliographic references 
Very few of those things. And so I'm like, how did they get away with this? Right? Like, I mean, for real, like that was actually the active part of me uh, researching all these textbooks. I'm like, how did they do this? But literally, right? It's like, after I looked at enough of them, I'm like, oh, it, it must be. And then I, you know, found some source someplace that I, I forget about, but um, that says like, hey, these don't belong to anyone. <laughs> and so uh, you can use these freely because you're writing a sociology textbook. No one needs to cite these things anymore, right? Please don't get me wrong. If you want to be the person that cites everything, knock yourself out. However, that's you, you don't have to do that, right? But however, when you do cite uh, the vast, vast, vast majority of the citations were just in-text citations, right? And so for my introduction to sociology class, right, it's like we got all these theorists. And so if I wanted to talk about anime, I would just say, well, Emil Durkheim talked about anime. Um, and, and then that's a wrap. Like, so like those kind of customs that you see in textbooks, those were the kind of things that I was willing to replicate and stuff like that. And look, and, and by the way, it's like, look, I, you know, you always want to give people credit what credit is due. And yet at the same time, I'm going to tell you when you, when you give it away for free, right? There's a lot less people coming at you <laughs> because you're giving away for free. And so just saying, but I mean, you want to do things right. If, if you want to do things right, but don't let doing things right and doing things perfect stop you from writing. That's what was happening for, to me for a very long time that I was wondering about the right way to do. And then I, then I found out, it's like, yo, there's a very different right way to do. And the difference is, you know, there's a lot of context that goes around what's right and what situation and stuff like that. And so then that's when I really decided to take ownership of, yo, I'm going to write this the way that I need to write it. Right. Versus looking for somewhere, uh, someone else to validate my writing, which I'm not going to say that you need to have your PhD in order to do that, but at the same time, that was that was that was the process. It was like for my, you know, writing my dissertation and everything, it was literally a process of like I'm not looking for validation here. I'm an I'm an expert on this. I did my research here and this is what happened, right? And so I needed I I'm so glad that I had my PhD voice, if you would, um, and that confidence to, to be able to just say, it's like, okay, this is how I need to write it. I, I understand that there's things going on out there, but this is how it needs to be done. And I just took ownership of that moment, right? And then the other cool thing that I, that I, you know, and I've mentioned this in other spaces, but that it's, it's your textbook. And so you can order it any way that you want, right? And so order, order it, organize it in the way that you want to. And that's part of that ownership thing, right? And so, I, you know, if I mentioned in another space that I talked about how I love my chapter two, chapter two actually combines social movements into chapter two. That was a chapter that normally happened at the end of the textbook, but I incorporated it into chapter two. And that literally has changed the way I teach the class, putting social movements in the, in the beginning of it, talking about this concept of praxis. Praxis is to uh, take your knowledge and put it into action. And so that is actually, so this idea of social movements and everything now, since it's in chapter two, now that can become a focus, right? And so the title of my textbook is Sociology in Praxis, right? And so if 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 I save the social movements chapter into the last part of the chapter, then it makes no sense for me to name my textbook this, right? And so the fact that I organize it this way and put praxis into chapter two, now being able to title it sociology and praxis makes it 
a, a lot more meaningful, right? And so I'm just saying, right? I mean, literally, it's it's your book. You can order it like you want to. This is a real deal, right? That's that's a real thing that you can do. And then also, look, this is so much more mundane, but for real, it's like I loved talking about um, like uh, education before family. Um, but in every textbook that I saw, they would always talk about family before education. And I'm just like, man, I like, I like talking. And I'm like, yo, I can actually just change the chapters. And then I did. Right. <laughs> so that was that's funny. Right. But but at the same time, that's the empowering thing that happens when you decide to write a textbook. Right. And so then when it comes to the writing, look, we I've said it before. I'll say it again. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? And I, you know, if people don't want to eat elephants, I get that. But I'm just saying, something really big, you just tackle it one step at a time. And so, the the thing that I would say, start with your favorite section slash chapter and work your way out from there. Okay. And so, um, and this honestly, you don't have to have started the whole textbook. You could just start with your favorite chapter, right? So you could be working with a textbook and you not like the chapter that is your favorite chapter to cover, um, that you are expert in, that you have a lot of experience in, that you have a lot of great examples for, right? Those are the chapters, right? That chapter, right? It's like you could you could rewrite that chapter no matter what textbook you're using, right? It's like no matter what textbook I use, I was never satisfied with the race and ethnicity chapter. That's my expertise, I you know, right? And so I was never satisfied with it, but if, as long as it was decent, as long as it's something I could work with, then I'm like, okay, I could do this, right? And so then you start with that chapter, Right. That, and I know that, that that may not sound very logical to you, but so my thing was race and ethnicity in an introduction to sociology textbook. That's normally about chapter nine. OK, it's like in my textbook is chapter nine. And so I'm telling you, you don't have to start with chapter one. Right. As a matter of fact, you might actually bore yourself to death by starting with chapter one or become unmotivated because you're working on something that you don't even want to work on. Right. And everything. And, you know, and, and writers, right. It's like the people in the English and the writing centers and stuff like that don't, don't tell students to write like this. And so it, it shouldn't be a mystery. Right. It shouldn't be a mystery as to why we should be writing like this. But again, it's like I want to empower people to break the cycle, if you would, right? It's like, or to 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 start wherever you're at, right? Um, because this is what I tell my research method students. And so this this uh, you know is is mixed into here, right? It's like when I tell my research method students, it's like you know um, you know there's five steps in the research process, but that doesn't mean you start at one and end in five and then you're done, right? A lot of times you actually start in in step two. Or step three, step four. Some people even start at step five and then they work their way backwards from there. And it's like, and so don't, you know, don't worry about the order. The order is not what's important. The order is going to help at the end when you're organizing things, but the order is not necessarily how you need to start your writing, right? Again, it's always about the empowerment model. You want to, you want to empower yourself to do your best writing. And so where are you going to do your best writing? In the place that you want to write. <laughs> and that shouldn't be a mystery to anyone, right? And yet at the same time, you know, it, it it seems like it's such a hard thing for us to do, but and yet we tell our students to do it all the time. And just to reiterate, right, it's like if you don't need to write a whole textbook, don't, right? It's like if there's something that's working for you out there, then use that thing and 
and, you know, maybe piece some things together, cobble some things together. You know what? Now that we're living in this, you know, zero textbook world, this, uh, you know, online resource world and everything, um, I don't use textbooks in my other classes anymore. I literally just cobble things together. I put things together. My research methods class, what I've done with my research. And by the way, writing a textbook, this is completely out of order. But just forgive me for going on this one right now. But for real, what I've done, writing a textbook is the gift that keeps on giving. I'm telling you flat out. It is the gift that keeps on giving. And so um, with my, so with my research methods class, what I've done is I've taken my chapter two that talks about research, the research methods section of my introduction to sociology textbook. And now that's the starting reading for my research methods class. And now I'm piecing other articles and things like that together for the students to read and, and stuff like that. Well, actually, I have a whole different design to that. Maybe I'll talk about that later on in regards to my research method design. But for real, Right. It's like that's that's the chapter that keeps on giving uh, when I was uh, teaching race and ethnic relations. Guess what? I gave them chapter nine, my race and ethnicity chapter in order to read uh, when I was doing a comparative cultures class. I was giving them chapter three, my my culture section um, in order for them to, you know, just to get a handle on what's going on in the space. Right. To just, you know, make sure that they have some terms or whatever to 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 to, to attach to what it is that we're learning. By the way, I'm not a big terms person, right? And yet at the same time, there's some baseline stuff that you want students to know. And so I was literally have, have pieced together like my whole thing. And so that um, over the sabbatical, there's going to be some time when I'm going to be, and I've been working with uh, the local high school system, K through 12 system over here. Well, the high school, I should say specifically. And, um, and they want to write some ethnic studies curriculum. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of writing for them. Um, well, it's not for them necessarily it's, it's for me, but just saying. Right. And I'm, guess what? I'm going to start with chapter nine, my race and ethnicity chapter. Right. And so, like I said, literally, this is the gift that keeps on giving. Right. And so um, and be, be comfortable with that. And so let me get back to uh, my my outline here. And look, when it comes to writing. I, I, y'all don't need to believe this. You really don't need to believe this, but I, I really want to encourage people to start with your dope line, to start with your best example. That's what I mean by this. <laughs> don't save your best stuff for the classroom. Put your best stuff in your textbook. That's what I would tell folks flat out. Put your best stuff in the textbook, right? And so that's because let me tell you what happens. OK, um, and I would tell my poets this. I would tell it's like so. So let me bridge this over into my post. So when I was the advisor to the Performance Writers Club and everything, and of course, we had our sensei it was Ant Black. Um, well, I don't know if you all know who he is, but um, he's actually a main person in the textbook that I wrote and everything. But and he's the, the feature spoken word poet, poet in my textbook. But he and I got to work with him uh, with this performance writers club. And I got to a space where it's like students were writing poems and we would critique them. And I got to this space where I was able to predict like when they were going to have this big punchline. 
right? This big old punchline. It's like they built the whole poem for them to build this one punchline, you know, just to be able to say this one punchline. And they were like, oh, mic drop. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and this line is just supposed to be so epic, right? The thing is that frustrated the hell out of me because I'm like, yo, you're waiting to say this line, but really that line begins your whole poem. And so what you should do is take that super dope line that it is that you're, you're thinking is like, yo, this is my dope line. I'm going to save it for last. And I'm saying, no, take your dope line and put it first and then see how that affects your writing from there. See how that affects your delivery from there. See how that affects the students, or in this particular case, the audience from there. Do it that way and see what happens. And so I have plenty of students take me up on it. They thought I was crazy at first. Um, and I am crazy. Don't go on. I'm crazy with a small C. Uh, but for real, uh, they thought I was crazy at first. But when they started doing it and they started seeing the value of it, all of a sudden that that shot us up in regards to like an organization and how people uh, uh, were writing. It's like their writing improved dramatically when they started doing what I was doing with this thing of put your dope line first. Use your best example first. Do not wait uh, don't wait for the classroom to do it. If this is a good example, then try to put it in your textbook. Now, some things don't work very well in a textbook. Um, there's some things that I'm thinking about pulling out of the textbook and just creating uh, work like a you know lesson plan around it um, and everything because it didn't work as well as I thought it would in a textbook. But yeah, there there's that right. But I encourage you to write. The dope lines first. Do not wait for the punchlines and everything. Put your punchlines all the way up first, and it will dramatically change your teaching. Okay, believe me when I tell you this. It'll change your teaching. This because this is what happened to me, right? What I started realizing, I'm like, yo, I I put I'm putting in all my favorite stories. Remember, I told y'all that before, right? In in another episode, it's like I'm putting in all my favorite stories. I'm putting in all my best examples. Well, damn, what am I going to do in the classroom? And that made me think really long, really hard about my teaching, right? It's like now I don't have to worry about the students getting the content, the students getting the best examples and stuff. But what I consider, of course, the best examples and everything, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And so now what does my teaching look like? And that put me on the pathway of doing, uh, of having students do more critical analysis and bringing in the multiple, the, the media analyses. I actually have that episode. It's titled that media now, like, you know, the benefits and all this stuff and how to use a media analysis and everything. So check that episode out if you're interested. But for real, what wound up happening in very, very short time, what wound up, uh, what I did is I created an assignment where students were analyzing more rather than just absorbing content in order to spit it back out to, uh, to me on a multiple choice test and then forget about it. I rather, I used, right? It's like they were getting the content. Uh, but now I was having them analyze their own media, right? The their own whatever it is that they were looking at, right? Whatever it is they normally watch, I was having whatever it is they normally read. I was having them analyze that and bringing it into the classroom in this assignment. And I'm telling you, I have never made a better decision in regards to teaching and learning in my classroom than doing that media uh, that media analysis, which honestly would not be possible in the way that they do it. It wouldn't be possible if I didn't have full confidence in the textbook. Right. And so then, and so then lastly, in this last space, right. 
Um, I really want you to, to be so hopefully I gave you enough, right? And, and, and feel free to contact me. Y'all know my contact information. Um, uh, you know, and, and hit me up, go to my website, brucehoskins.com. Um, hit me up at, at, at bhoskins, uh, at maricosta.edu. And, you know, we can, we can chat this up. Y'all know where to find me, right? If you want to go into more detail about this stuff, but I'm going to tell you, there's, there's nothing like writing except writing. I tell my posts that all the time. I actually even made a meme for myself of saying it's like, so you want to get better at writing and yet not write? That's a thing, right? And so that's the thing for all of us to think about, right? It's like, you, you want to, you want to write, but you don't want to write. And so it's like, you, and, and so what we wind up doing is we wind up talking ourselves to death. And then when you do that, all the bad stuff happens, right? The imposter syndrome, you start getting all, then life happens and those things stop you and everything. But it's like, in order to write, you got to write. That's, that's how this thing breaks down. And if you're going to write, write something valuable, write something you, right? So put your heart into this thing so that you don't just write another textbook. I had this one colleague, like they were, they were talking to me and they were getting super excited about uh, bringing in like this uh, course creator. Like this is a person that like helps create courses and everything. And um, they got so excited about looking at the course and they were like, yo, this looks so much like a textbook. And I'm like, yo, that is exactly what I'm afraid of. Don't get me wrong. Textbooks can look amazing, right? But the thing is, is that that very same thing that looks amazing to a lot of us who it's like, see, I don't I don't I don't think a lot of us really reflect very much on how our learning goes. Right. Is that that we were actually good at the sociology stuff and maybe or, or whatever your discipline is. Right. And so that you may not have been as critical of what you're reading uh, in those textbooks, because you kind of like you like it's your major. It's like you you like the topic already, and so what I'm saying is, when it comes to textbooks and the, looking like a textbook, it's like be careful with that, right? Because then we can wind up privileging uh, this thing called professionalism, which is basically just whiteness, middle class whiteness being repackaged to us, right? Um, and things like that. And, um, and, and, and not realize, and, and more importantly, not realize on an equity tip that not realize that that's actually making it look like a textbook is actually, um, negatively affecting our, our margin, historically marginalized students. Right. And so, because it's like, if, if we think about it, right, because it's, it's all about standpoint theory. That's, a, that's a concept in my introduction to sociology textbook, but uh, it's, it's feminist theory comes out of that space, but it's just like, you know, the way that you see things depending on your standpoint and everything. And, you know, like where you're standing and observing and your experience and stuff like that, that's standpoint theory. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I remember this person as they were retiring, they, they said, that Maricosta used to be Harvard on the hill, but now a lot of people think of it as TJ on the hill. I'm assuming that means Tijuana. Actually, it, it means Tijuana. That's definitely the context that they were using in that space. And um, and a lot of people were upset for a lot of different reasons, right? Because there are some people who are upset that Harvard, what they perceived as Harvard on the hill becoming TJ on the hill, Right. For me, TJ on the Hill is actually exciting to me because Harvard was always, is always, will always be an exclusive space 
a place that excludes and marginalizes people like me. But TJ, anyone can go to TJ. <laughs> and if we're going to be a community college, then we should be something that anyone can go to, right? And so, and by the way, that actually did happen on our, on our campus. <laughs> that actually happened. It was at a board of trustee meeting. I don't want to say anything more about that because um, I'm trying to stay respectful here. But for real, right? It's like well, all of that was just to say, right, is that our perception of something, be careful with that. Because the key is for equity to break down those equity, to close those equity gaps is to break down the ideas of professionalism and academia and make it accessible, right? And that textbooks are not the pinnacle of that. As a matter of fact, textbooks are are on the opposite side of this, right? In regards to being restrictive and looking intimidating and all of that stuff to our historically marginalized folks. Another thing for you to think about um, when you're, when you're writing is that students don't care about perfection. We care about perfection, but perfection is a false construction. Students don't care about perfection. They care about their learning. So take care of their learning, take care about them and care about their learning. And when you write, you're going to write something that they can learn from. Right. And then lastly, keep equity central, keep equity at the center, make it free. If you can Write at an eighth to tenth grade level, right? You can have your feelings about that, but for real, if you want to make it as accessible as possible and try to close equity gaps, write at an eighth to tenth grade level. How you speak in class, that's a whole different thing, but you should be writing at an eighth to tenth grade level when you're doing this because you want to make it as accessible as possible. And then lastly, Make sure that it's representative. If you, I'm a person of color. And so when I put my face in there, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually doing that equity work, right? But if you are a white person, let's just be real about this, right? Let's not, let's not, let's not pull punches and, and, and reteach, right? Is that if you are a white person and you put your face in that, then you better do a lot of purposeful work to make sure that your face is not the dom, is, is not that students don't read your face as, well, this is, these are the only type of people that do this work. Right. Because that's the default. Right. And so if you don't actively fight against that, then what you're going to do is you're just going to wind up replicating the status quo. And the status quo is racist. It's white supremacist and it perpetuates uh, equity gaps. Right. And so anyway, folks, um, that's it. That's all I got for this uh, episode. Uh, regarding writing your textbooks and stuff like that. Like I said, if you want a little bit more help, a little bit more personal, you know, consulting or whatever, uh, you know, hit me up. Y'all know where to reach me, right? You got, I got the, the website, brucehoskins.com. I got my, my, my email just here at Maricosta, bhoskins at maricosta.edu. Hit me up and we could talk about this. I love to talk about this stuff, like really, because people have amazing ideas and I love, like helping people, helping empower to empower people to just write what it is that's in their heart to write. Because I'm telling you, that will be revolutionary. That will come from the heart. And if you're purposeful about it, it will close equity gaps, folks. But anyway, that's all I got for this episode. I hope you learned something. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, 
How long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. Not just the ones that are good already.